Our scripture reading today comes from John 11, 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Jesus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, when I was about uh, 12 years old, I went to my first funeral. Uh, At least it's the one that I have the strongest memories of, that had the most impact on me at at an early age. My my grandfather, whom we called Pop uh, in our family, had just passed away from brain cancer, and it had been a very difficult year of watching his body and his mind fail him over that time. I I remember it was a rainy day, the service was. It was Valentine's Day. And uh, we held the service in a church, and then we went to the graveside. And as a 12-year-old boy, I I said goodbye to my grandfather before his body was lowered into the ground. And I I remember this for a lot of reasons, but most acutely, I think, I remember it because that afternoon... For the first time in my young life, I felt the tragedy of death. I felt it for the first time. How absurd it was to me that my grandfather had lived and grew up and fought in World War II and met a girl and got married and had kids and got a job and everything that goes along with that. And then one day, it's just over. That's it. I know it's sad to start this way, (laughs) but it's real. And some of you, perhaps, as I tell my own story, you're thinking of the first time you remember going to a funeral and saying goodbye to someone that you cared about. Or perhaps you're thinking of your last funeral and how painful that memory is. Wherever that brings you this morning, I, I, I say all this because Jesus in John 11 is going to a funeral. That's actually what this story is about. His friend is dead. John, who wrote this gospel, uh, was a disciple of Jesus and an eyewitness to all that he did and said. And he really slows down and takes his time here in John 11. If, If you've been with us for the past weeks and months in this gospel, 
Uh, John doesn't need a ton of words to tell a story, but here he takes an entire chapter to slow us down. This is our last sermon in the book of John for a while. We're going to take a break after this. Because this story, going to a funeral, is the last thing Jesus does in public before he goes to Jerusalem and begins his last week before the cross. It's this act, this story, that John wants us to see. And what I want us to do as we look at this story is to examine together what does Jesus think? What does he feel? What does he do when he goes to this funeral? And what does that mean for us today? So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in your New Testament, chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1, which begins this way. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, some of those names sound familiar to you. It's because Mary and Martha, whom John mentions here, are in another story with Jesus uh, in another gospel, Luke chapter 10. And if you remember that story, Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus in their home. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet to learn from him while Martha's playing host, if you remember that story. And John also points out that this is the same Mary who will anoint Jesus' feet with her own hair in an act of worship. That story is recorded in Mark and Matthew. But in John, he won't tell that story for another chapter, in chapter 12, but he assumes you already know who she is. In other words, John is pointing out that this is a famous family. People know them. John assumes, I think, as we read his gospel, that we've at least already read Mark's gospel, perhaps Matthew's, or we've at least heard of this Lazarus and Mary and Martha before. Either way, the reason this family is so famous, I think, is in verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now this may sound a little weird. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but I think Jesus had close friends. He loves everyone with a divine love that, that we can barely comprehend. That's true. But it's also true that in his earthly life, he had friends. There are hints that he spent extra time, for example, with Peter, James, and John, who were among the twelve. And I think here, too, this family meant something special to him. He spent time with them. He liked them. He trusted them in a way that he didn't trust just anybody he loves Lazarus as a friend, perhaps even as a brother, and something's terribly wrong with Lazarus. So the sisters, they send word to Jesus, who is probably up north on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. You probably can't read this map, but this kind of yellow-orange section there in the top right of this map is a region called Bedenea which perhaps John has called Bethany across the Jordan throughout his gospel, all the way back in chapter 1, is the first time you see that. It's, oh, sorry, it's a different Bethany than where this family is, where Lazarus is, so it's a little confusing. That Bethany is down south in this green area right next to Jerusalem. There's a lot of debate about where exactly is, uh, where, uh, Jesus is at the beginning of the story. It really isn't important to the story, but I think it's, he's likely that far away, right, all the way up there from Judea, 
because it's, he has so many enemies down south. And that's hinted at here in the story. He, he, it was dangerous for him to go to Judea down south at this point. But the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, are so desperate for his help that they ask him to come anyway. They know what risk Jesus would take to come that close to Jerusalem, but they also know the power Jesus has. They've seen what he can do. So they ask for his help. And here's what Jesus does, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now the way this reads, it's like this. Because Jesus loved this family so much, this is the second time John has told us how much Jesus loves this family. Because he loved them so much, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he waited two more days before he did anything at all. Jesus waits. He waited. It doesn't even make sense, does it? He waited. I mean, just think, put yourself in this situation. Imagine you have a loved one in the hospital, and they're dying, and they need like an organ transplant in the next few days. But you found one. You found one at a hospital just next door, just a few miles away, that her body would accept. But every second counts, and so you ask them to send it over as soon as they can, but eventually these doctors, they stop answering the phone, and they won't answer your questions, and they won't tell you why. Can you imagine the panic you would feel? And the confusion, and the desperation, and then eventually the anger. For two days, these sisters look up from the deathbed of their brother, looking for Jesus, scanning the horizon, and they do not see him come. Instead, Jesus waits. He waits. There are fewer things harder, I think, in the Christian life, for those of you here who follow Jesus, than waiting for him. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with with followers of Jesus more mature than I who still wrestle with the timing of Jesus, who've asked him for something, even something as serious as these sisters are asking for and are confused. Jesus, what are you waiting for? And most of the time, I don't know what to say. Perhaps you're here and you're in a season like that now. The only explanation we get is in verse 4, when Jesus says this to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The glory of God. This is what Jesus says. This is for the glory of God. This phrase, if you remember with me, in John, doesn't simply mean the glory due to God, but instead means something God must reveal about himself, his glory revealed to us, something we have to see to believe, something that requires two more days. Okay, hold that thought. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Judea, you'll remember, is where this family is, where Lazarus is. It's also where all of Jesus' enemies are. So after two days, Jesus is now ready to go and see this family But now Jesus knows that they're not going to the bedside of a sick man. They are going to the funeral of a dead man. Jesus tells the disciples that plainly, despite their 
fears of the Jewish authorities that Lazarus is now dead and they're going to his funeral. That's verse 14. In fact, that seems to be what Jesus was waiting for in the first place. So the disciples leave with him for this four-day journey down to Bethany near Jerusalem, prepared to die with him if they're caught. That's what Thomas says in verse 16. Say, well, this is it, boys. Let's go. So they arrive at the home of Lazarus, and the funeral is still underway, even though Lazarus has been dead and buried now for four days. This is not unusual for this culture or this time to mourn for the dead for several days. Even the guests that have come to the funeral are still there. Many of them are from Jerusalem, which is only about two miles away, to comfort these sisters in their grief. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So so Martha runs out to see Jesus, but Mary, she just isn't able to do that yet. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now Martha, God bless her, is doing her best not to show her disappointment. She is doing her best to hide her grief and her confusion, perhaps even her anger. She gives the right answers here, but I can't get over the first thing she says to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here. It's the same thing Mary, her sister, will say to Jesus later in verse 32. Jesus actually has to call for her, for her to come out. Everyone's watching her. This Mary who loves Jesus, who's hosted him in her home, how many times we don't know, who hung on his every word, who, as Luke tells us, sat at his feet to learn from him, now falls down before him and repeats the same agonizing confession as her sister, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And it's all she can say. That's it. It's perhaps a version of something you've also said to Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, Jesus, if you'd done something, Jesus, if you'd listened to me, Jesus, if you'd intervened, if you'd showed up, everything would be different. Perhaps it's something you say to him even now. But again, Jesus' response to these sisters, it it tells us that he's not seeing this situation the way that they do. To Martha, who at least can tell Jesus she knows Lazarus will be raised, I don't know, maybe someday, He says to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? See, Jesus doesn't arrive at this funeral disappointed that he's too late. Oh, man. He doesn't claim to be a doctor who missed an appointment or a surgeon who made a mistake. He's not a healer who missed his window of opportunity. Jesus doesn't believe in the resurrection power of God. He says, I am the resurrection power of God. That is his claim. And he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? See, he sees what's coming in a way that neither sister can and that most of us don't in our own lives either. He is making a claim 
of divine identity, of unimaginable power. He says, I am the life giver, and no one and nothing can stop me. And notice this, with the full power of his Father behind him, as the only son from eternity past, when Jesus shows up at this funeral, does he laugh? Does he go, oh, Martha and Mary, it's going to be fine. Just wait. No. Does he lecture? Hey, everybody, you lack the faith to understand. Everybody sit down. We're going to do a Bible study. Does he roll his eyes? Like how many times? You people. Do I have to explain this? No. Verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, the creator of all. When he gets to his, his friend's funeral, he weeps. He just cries. Remember with me, this is all his plan. This is his idea. This is his moment. Nothing has happened so far that he did not anticipate. He knows better than anyone what he's capable of, but his friend is dead. And Mary and Martha are in pain. And he cannot help but weep with them. He cannot help but feel the same profound sadness and grief that we feel when we lose someone. We must never get over the Lord of the universe who made all things and holds all things weeping here. We must always remember that Jesus has wept and I think will weep at every funeral since the foundation of the world. Jesus is not immune to our grief or our loss or our pain. He weeps, but he does more than weep. Keep reading verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Now that phrase, deeply moved, we've actually seen it before. Earlier in verse 33, Jesus was first deeply moved and troubled. But here in verse 38, Jesus sees the tomb. Now he's standing face to face with the grave of Lazarus and he's deeply moved again. Now I hate to say this, but it seems to me that every major translation of this verse seems nervous to communicate what Jesus is actually feeling here. This, this phrase, deeply moved, is one word in Greek, and it isn't nearly so tame as the English, deeply moved. It means to quake with anger. The image it conveys is, is like a war horse snorting before battle before charging. That's the idea. When Jesus comes to this funeral and he stands before the tomb of his friend, which has held him notice for four days, he rages with anger. He rages. So much so that John mentions it twice. It made such an impression on him with, uh, with his own eyes. To be sure, there is anger that comes with death. It's one of the stages of grief is to get angry but there's something different about Jesus' anger, the intensity of it and the placement of it right here in front of the grave. And you have to remember that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about a, 
a rage that has built and built and built since in ages past, a man and a woman named Adam and Eve took forbidden fruit and invited death into God's good world. Jesus needs no one to remind him here that funerals like this are not the way it's supposed to be. He's the one who made a world where this never needed to happen until our ancestors and we are deceived and break the whole thing. The ferocity of Jesus' anger only makes sense in light of that cosmic story. And I imagine that as people watched him, they were startled by his anger to see Jesus so quickly turn from weeping to fist-clenched, red-faced, panting with anger must have seemed strange to everybody watching that day. But not when you realize that for Jesus, this has all come down to this moment. That this moment, this confrontation, is something he has been waiting for for longer than you and I can even imagine. And that the tomb is more than a sad reality to Jesus Death is not this inevitable end that we just need to accept and is a part of human life, as like we're so often told. For Jesus, the tomb in front of him is an enemy. And it's a mocking enemy at that. The way Jesus responds, it's almost like he could hear death whispering to him from this grave, Lazarus is mine. And he's been mine for four days. And so Jesus, in verse 39, he's ready Take away the stone, he says. But Martha can't believe it. All she can think is, Jesus, don't dishonor Lazarus like this. Don't do this. Don't ask me to do this. Don't make us see him. Let me remember him like he was. Jesus, don't you know there'll be an odor by now? Don't you get it, Jesus? It's over. You didn't come. And so here we are. Don't make this any worse than you already have. She says as much to him in verse 39, but Jesus will not relent. Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There's that phrase again. The reason for everything Jesus has done. Jesus gave that at the very beginning, the glory of God. He says, Martha, roll away that stone. There's something you and everyone here needs to see with their own eyes. So they took away the stone, verse 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus waits for reasons that are sometimes inexplicable to us. And he weeps when he sees us weeping. And he rages when he confronts the cancer of death in his good world, wherever he finds it. And we needed to see all of that in this story. But what Jesus needed us to know, what Mary and Martha couldn't believe, is that Jesus, when he confronts the grave, any grave, he's already won. Verse 44, the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus won. 
the glory of God is this. In Jesus, there is no grave over which Jesus cannot triumph, including his own, including yours and mine. And when we believe he is the resurrection and the life, the Son of God, he too will call us by name, will speak over every tomb and grave and urn or ashes that we've become and will say, come out. And no one and nothing can stop him. Do you believe this? This is his question. Do you believe this? He asked Martha 2,000 years ago, but the question has not changed. He has shown us what he can do. Do we believe him? And if we do, we do not go to any funeral the same way ever again. Yes, we may be confused by Jesus' timing. We can still weep and rage at the tragedy and the injustice of death like Jesus does, but we know Jesus wins. We've seen the glory of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That his power, even in this life, as frail and broken as we can sometimes be, can still change you now, empower you, lift you up, transform you, can take any loss or grief or pain and turn it into joy and dancing and victory. Do you believe, as I saw one commentator put it, that if Jesus had not said Lazarus' name, that every tomb would have opened that day? Come out. And that one day, they will open at a word from his mouth. Do you believe that Jesus did not go to this funeral to say goodbye to his friend? That he went to this funeral to say goodbye to funerals? If you believe this, you have life in his name. And even though you die, yet shall you live. Let's pray to him now. Jesus, our only hope is your victory. Our only hope is your voice saying, come out. So I pray for those here who do not yet know your voice that they may come to know you. And I pray for those here who do know your voice. Comfort us in our grief. Remind us in our pain that you, you, under, you weep with us, you rage with us, but you've won for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.